The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Stephen, and I hope everybody out there is being safe in this current global crisis we have going on. I can tell you that I, myself, I'm doing my best. My family has not been out of the house in over a week. The only one, really, that we have to worry about is me, because I still have to go to work. I got to go to work. I got to go to the store. I'm out there among the people. And so there's always fear that I'm going to get it and then I'm going to bring it home. But all we can do really is just do our best, just cross our fingers, wash our hands, try to stay away from people as much as possible. Social distancing, six feet, they say. I mean, that's not a problem for me. I personally enjoy a six-foot bubble around me. It's pretty easy for me to distance myself socially. That's what I'm all about. Socially awkward. That's what I'm saying, folks. Hey, today I want to talk about the first in a three-issue run of the Fantastic Four comics from back in 1990 that I really enjoyed. And I'm starting with Fantastic Four number 347. This is from December of 1990. It sold for a dollar. It was written by Walt Simonson with pencils by Art Adams, inks by Art Thibbert. It's either Thibbert or T-Bear. I've heard it both ways. Colors by Steve Bucoletto and letters by Bill Oakley. Now, again, this was, this was a three-issue storyline. At the time in Fantastic Four, at this point, Walt Simonson was writing, and he was also doing the art as well. But we had, uh, well, not quite the classic Fantastic Four team. You had Reed Richards. You had Human Torch, you had Invisible Woman, but Ben Grimm at this point was not the thing. He had this girlfriend named Sharon Ventura, whom he'd met during his solo book. Ben Grimm at one point in the late 80s, early 90s, I I don't remember when it started or when it ended, but during his solo run, he became a member of a wrestling federation group type thing that was all about basically folks with superpowers wrestling and through this organization a regular person could get super strength by seeing someone that they referred to as the power broker and this woman Sharon Ventura she had gone to see the power broker and she became super strong and she started calling herself Ms. Marvel and so she wrestled alongside the thing and they were an item And eventually she ended up on the Fantastic Four. And then at some point, I don't know if it happened at the same time, but at some point, Ben Grimm stops being the thing and Sharon is bombarded with cosmic rays, just like the original Fantastic Four. And she turns into the thing and she still goes by the name Ms. Marvel. They don't mention that at all in this book. She's she has an appearance in this book. She's only referred to as Sherry by Ben. But she still went by the name of Ms. Marvel, but 
the readership, we all just referred to her as She-Thing. So this three-issue run is often referred to as the new Fantastic Four. This is the run where we get a new temporary Fantastic Four team. And it's the reason I wasn't, I don't remember actually reading this book at the time. I don't even know that I was reading comics by this point. I had, I think I had gotten out, but I do recall going back and finding this, these issues. I think I even had a trade paperback of it at some point because, well, maybe I was reading because I was reading Ghostwriter at the time and that came out in 1990 or very soon before. Anyway, I'm not going to sit here and try to make my memory work because that is a exercise in futility because I'm not smart. Well, I'm not good with the whole memory thing, folks. My capabilities for remembering things, well, it's never quite worked very well. Anyway, let's just talk about the issue, okay? And then I'll talk about, maybe I'll talk about the story in broad strokes at the end. I don't know. I'm going to do other episodes for the other issues. You know what? I I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, folks. I don't know what I I have planned. I just know I'm going to talk about this issue, okay? Can we do that? Oh, boy. Anyway, we start out the book. There's a ship in space. It's hurtling toward the Earth. It appears to be in some type of distress. There is a woman behind the controls, and she has to crash land her ship on Earth. She manages to escape from the ship just before it blows up. And when we finally get a close-up of her, because we haven't seen much of her in these first couple pages, she appears to be somewhat green. We go from there to the Baxter building in New York for Freedom's Plaza, where the Fantastic Four dwell. Now, they just refer to the building at this point as for Freedom's Plaza. I don't know if they if they changed the name of the Baxter building or if they moved into new digs by this point. It just, it doesn't look much like the Baxter building because it's got a giant, like the, the top floors are shaped like a giant four. Again, I wasn't really reading Fantastic Four at this time. Anyway, the the team has just gotten back from some big epic space adventure of some sort. They'd been gone for weeks. Sue and Reed, who have a child, Franklin, they have not seen their their son in weeks. And so they're spending some quality time with their son. Johnny is hanging out outside being all brutish. He apparently at this point is married to Alicia Masters. If you're not aware of who that is, she's the daughter of the puppet master. She's blind. She's a sculptress. And she was, her and Ben Grimm were quite the thing for a number of years. She's like Ben's original flame. Yet at this point, she's married to Johnny, who in pure Johnny Storm fashion, he's brooding because on their space adventure, he met a blue-skinned alien woman named Nebula that he fell in love with. And he's trying to reconcile that in his head because when it comes down to it, Johnny Storm is kind of a jerk. He is kind of a flighty, selfish, doesn't care a lot about others kind of jerk. That's just the way I read it with him. He always seems to be doing things like this. Anyway, he's really upset. Alicia tries to reach out to him to help him through this difficult time. She doesn't know what's going on. He comes back and he's all aloof and distant Looking out into the stars, oh, Nebula, I know I'm already married to Alicia. I probably stole her from Ben and almost ruined my relationship there with one of my best friends who I make fun of all the time. I probably stole her from him, and then I married her, and now that I have her, I don't really want her, and I want Nebula instead. 
And so he gets really angry and he says, blast it. And he walks away. We go from there to Sharon, Ms. Marvel, the she thing. She's lifting super weights, basically, in the super gym at Four Freedoms Plaza. And she's, she looks very much like the thing. She has kind of the proportions of a woman. And her Fantastic Four uniform has a big M on the front of it for Ms. Marvel. Ben Grimm comes in. He's got some flowers. And he's got a surprise for her. He's got tickets to, to go see a band. But she doesn't really want to go because she's also very brutish and aloof because she got changed into the thing and she doesn't seem to be all that happy about it. We go from there to another ship in outer space and it's full of scrolls. And I have to tell you, just looking at these scrolls as drawn by the incredibly talented, super awesome, doesn't do a monthly book because he is very slow, and it, but it's worth it, Art Adams, these scrolls look amazing. I mean, a scroll is a scroll, right? They're green. They all wear the same uniform. They got long pointy ears. They got these weird, rigid freaking chins. But each one of these scrolls look distinctively different. And of course, drawn in Art Adams style, they're just, they're just amazing looking. But they're there to find someone named Delilah. And we have to assume that that's this woman that we saw earlier in the issue. And speaking of which, she shows up at Four Freedoms Plaza She's no longer green. She looks like a regular human. So we're also going to assume since the scrolls are looking for her, since she seemed green looking in an earlier panel, and now she looks like a regular old human, we're just going to assume that she too is a scroll. She comes up to the receptionist desk at Four Freedoms Plaza. She says she wants to talk to the Fantastic Four. The dude working the desk tells her, yeah, they don't just take walk-ins. You have to have an appointment. And she asks him, well, could you just at least call up there and see if they're available? And he's like, sure, I could do that, but I doubt they'll see you. Then he turns around, he picks up the phone, and he's actually talking to Reed Richards. And he's saying, you know, there's a woman down here that wants to see you. And he turns around and she's gone. That doesn't seem to trigger any kind of response in Reed. He doesn't seem to worry about it. We go back to Johnny. He is still brooding. When we first see Johnny, he's basically standing on a balcony looking out across the New York skyline, deep in thought. Oh, Nebula, whatever am I going to do? And now here he is again. He's standing on a balcony. He's looking out across the New York skyline and his thought bubbles. What am I going to do? I can't stop thinking about Nebula day or night. She was so beautiful, it hurts. Maybe she scrambled my brains or something when she took over my mind and it's getting worse with time. I don't want to hurt Leisha. Both times he refers to Alicia, he refers to as Leisha, which is basically Alicia without the A and an apostrophe instead. Because Johnny can't be bothered to say the full name. He can't be bothered to say the A. He's too cool. Leisha. I don't want to hurt Leisha, but I can't help what I'm feeling. Somehow I've got to put her out of my mind. Now that's not how Johnny talks. He doesn't have an accent, but I have to assume when he's being brooding and introspective and selfish, he probably gives himself his inner monologue and accent because that's the kind of jerk he is. Anyway, creeping up behind is this woman. But when he turns around to see her, it's Nebula. And she comes up to him and she's like, oh, Johnny, don't worry. Don't worry, hon, I'm here. I'm here, Johnny. It's me. It's Nebula. And he's all, oh, Nebula, how? It's, that's impossible. How can you be here? It doesn't matter what's possible. Come to me, my darling. 
and she puts her hands on his face. But in one of her hands, she's got some kind of weird freaking thing on her on her hand, and it's got a little needle, and she sticks him in the face, and he passes out. Then we go to Ben Grimm. He's hanging out in his bedroom. He now, too, is brooding. A lot of brooding going on in Four Freedoms Plaza. He's worried about his girl, Sherry. He understands what she's going through, but he's worried about her. And then Alicia Masters comes in, and she's all like, Oh, Ben, I'm so worried about Johnny. I don't know what to do. Johnny's all upset. I need some TLC, baby. Give me some TLC. Hug me. Hold me. Do things with me. And Ben's like, hey, whoa, hey, hey there. You're, you're, my, you're my chum's wife now. I got a girl, too. What are you doing? But at the, uh, on the other hand, he's like, hey, all right, Lisa Masters. And she is, of course, this Delilah scroll lady. And the thing on her hand, she zaps him in his face just like she did Johnny. And he passes out. Same thing happens with Sue Storm. She's looking in on Franklin, who is asleep. And then she she leaves Franklin's room, and there is Prince Namor, her other great love. And he's like, hey, baby, it's Prince Namor. Why don't you come carve off a big old slice of this? And she says, Namor, no, this is not. What are you doing here? Why are you here? And he gently places a hand on her face and zap, she's passed out. But then the real Alicia Masters comes up behind Namor, and she's blind, but she knows who he is. Apparently, she, she could hear. She heard what was happening. And she was, she's like, you're not Prince Namor. What did you do to Sue? What's going on? And he punches her in the face. And by he, I mean she, because Namor is really this scroll who is named Delilah. And she is punched quite hard in the face. Blood flies out. And we see Delilah's hand, and it's speckled in blood. Then we go to Sharon, Ms. Marvel. She's still lifting weights. She's actually done lifting weights. She's sitting on the bench, and she is still brooding. And Delilah, in the form of Ben Grimm, comes up to her, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know that uh, we're still cool. You know, it's all right. I understand where you're coming from. Here, have some tea, because apparently you need to hydrate after a, a, after a big workout. And the best way to hydrate is not water. It's hot herbal tea. And she thanks him, takes the tea, and then passes out because it was drugged. Delilah knew that she wouldn't be able to use this freaking thing on her hand to get through Ms. Marvel's rocky hide, so she drugged the tea. So then she goes to see Reed Richards. And of course, she's in the form of Sue Storm. And this Reed Richards is the only one that seems to... He basic, Basically, she sticks him in the face with her, her little thing on her hand with the needle, and it doesn't affect him right away. Something about his rubbery hide, it affects him slightly. He, he kind of goes numb, and it's like the moment that thing hits his skin, he just, his body just freaks out and starts stretching all over the place. And so she has to jump on his back and she stabs him again in the face with this needle thing. And that's when he finally passes out. And it's just a really awesome shot of him laying on the floor and he's all stretched out and rubbery like a big old rubber band. We go back to the scrolls who are still trying to track down Delilah. They've entered Earth's atmosphere. They have... They've been monitoring. They've got these sensors. They're scanning Earth looking for signs of scrolls. And they find actually a mass gathering of scrolls on an island. And they land on this island, which looks really weird. It's got a big volcano in the middle of it. And the volcano has what appears to be a face not carved into its side. It's like there naturally. It's like these caves that make it look like there's a big monstrous face on the side of it. Anyway, they land and two of the scrolls get out to start looking around. And they're trying to figure out 
this can't be right because we're only looking for one scroll. Delilah should be the only other scroll on this planet, but we're picking up a big, large concentration of them on this island. And as they're investigating, they notice off beyond the trees, two giant Godzilla-sized monsters fighting. Yes, they are on Monster Island. So they run back to the ship, and the leader of this scroll team concocts a plan, and it, the ship fires out all these darts that hit all the monsters, these giant monsters that will basically take them over and send them all across the globe and look for Delilah. Well, the Mole Man, who also lives on Monster Island, who is the protector of these monsters, he gets wind of this, and he's not very happy. So we go back to Four Freedoms Plaza. Sue is there, and she's going through all of Reed's records, and she's got to find, she needs to find somebody to help her. She knows that these scrolls are coming. She sees a thing on the news. There's this monitor that automatically searches the news and whatnot for threats. And this, this story comes up about these giant monsters. One of them has already reached Hong Kong, and others are making their way to various big cities, seaport cities and whatnot. And she says, oh, well, obviously, this is the scrolls looking for me. I got to find some, some of these superheroes to help me and protect me. And so she uses some sort of mental device that Reed has created to put a mental distress signal out there. And she attracts four heroes who come to Four Freedoms Plaza. They don't know why they're there. The first, one of them is Spider-Man. He's just swinging through the city. And suddenly his spider sense goes off and it draws him to Four Freedoms Plaza. And there on the ground outside the front door is the Hulk and Wolverine. The Hulk is the Gray Hulk. This is Joe Fixit. This is uh, the Hulk from the era I'm actually currently reading right now, rereading these stories where the Hulk is gray. He only changes to the Hulk at night. And luckily, it is nighttime now. I don't know how they handle that throughout the book because I feel like he is the Hulk during all three issues. So that'll be interesting to see as that goes along. Wolverine is just in his civilian clothes, so he's just, he's just plain old Logan. Neither of them know why they're there. The Hulk thinks Wolverine has tricked him into coming to the, the Fantastic Four's place. Spider-Man swings down and he's like, hey, uh, what's going on, fellas? Why are you guys here? I was drawn to this place and they're, yeah, me too. We were, we were kind of summoned here mentally. We don't know what's going on. Well, the guy from earlier in the book, the receptionist, he comes out and he says, hey, great, you guys are here. Miss Storm is upstairs in the penthouse. She's been waiting for you. She told me to send you up as soon as you got here. Where's the fourth one? And they're all scratching their heads. Fourth one? And that's when the ghost rider appears. Now, I want to say really quick, there's a, there's a panel on this page right before the ghost rider shows up where the Hulk is talking to this receptionist. And it's just, it's one of the smaller panels on the page. It's just the, the receptionist from behind and the Hulk is in front of him talking to him. And it's just, it's the, that panel just pops out for me on this page. I'm definitely going to stick that up on Instagram when this, when this episode comes out. But anyway, he says, where's the fourth one? And they're like, fourth one? And then suddenly here comes Ghost Rider. And he just drives right by him and straight up the side of the building. Doesn't say a word. And so the Hulk's like, all right, well, I guess he's going straight to the penthouse. I'm not going to be left behind. And he jumps because, you know, that's what the Hulk does. Spider-Man says, all right, well, I'll meet you all up there. And he goes swinging up to the top. And Wolverine's standing down there with the receptionist. And again, Arthur Adams does the right thing. Not a lot of, some artists don't like to remember that 
Wolverine is a short dude. And he draws Wolverine next to this reception. And he's almost like a head and a half shorter than this receptionist. And he's like, frickin' show-offs. And so then he has to ride the elevator up there. And when he gets up there, the place is a mess. Sue Storm, who we know is the scroll, is sitting on a couch. She looks very distressed. Spider-Man's trying to find out what's going on. And she ends up taking them into this room where she has the other members of the Fantastic Four laid out. And they all look dead. They appear to be dead. And she says that she had been out shopping. And when she came back, she found all this and she found her family dead. And at this point, because the Hulk is like, look, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't do stuff for people. All right, I'm out of here. And she's like, no, you got just come see. And when he sees that the Fantastic Four are dead, the Hulk's like, well, that's impossible. I'm, I'm going to help you find out what's going on here. And she, she shows them some news footage. There's now one of the giant monsters is attacking New York. And she says, this is part of it, but don't worry about these, these monsters. These monsters are part of it. Don't worry about them, though, because the Avengers and the, the military, they'll, they'll handle that. But we got to find out who, who is behind all this. And she gives them one of those Fantastic Four Reed Richards designed doohickeys and says, this will take you to whoever sent these assassins against my family. And the issue ends with, the Hulk says, lady, the one of me can stop anybody, but these guys can come along for the ride. Ghost Rider says, there shall be a just measure of vengeance. Spider-Man says, looks like I may be a little late for dinner tonight. And Wolverine, lighting up a cigar, says, just call us the new FF, webhead. Now, let's go kick us some butt and take us some names. Next, the new Fantastic Four do just what Wolverine said, where monsters dwell, or maybe creatures on the loose. So the new Fantastic Four is made up of the Hulk, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider. I don't know about you, but when I learned about that in the early 90s, I said I gotta read that story. You got the Hulk, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man teamed up, and it's drawn by Art Adams, and it's written by Walt Simonson? It's only three issues? That makes me sad, but still, I'm in there, man. So I feel like it's... I, I don't need to say that the book was just gorgeous. Art Adams is just... He's a phenomenal artist. He is so detailed. He does have, he's got a style. He's got that Art Adams style. It's very hard to mistake Art Adams art. He's actually credited as Arthur Adams. Sometimes he's credited as art. Sometimes he's credited as Arthur. But I don't know how to describe his style. He's very detailed. He puts in a lot of details, a lot of cross hatching. He's just got this way though, this shape. Everybody's got kind of this certain shape to their eyes and their face and their head and their body. He's just, it's definitely Arthur Adams when you see it. Now, unfortunately, as detailed as he is, it takes him a while to do a book. So he's never really been on a monthly book too much. Typically, if he's doing monthly issues, it's something like this that they, they probably put him on six issues ahead of time. And said, hey, we want to do this three-issue storyline. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and get started on it so that they can release it monthly? Or he does like a mini-series that I'm sure they do ahead of time. He did his own book for Dark Horse for a little while called Monkey Man and O'Brien. And I remember really enjoying that, but I don't remember it coming out all that regularly. I don't even remember all that many issues of it. He, of course, did the long shot 
miniseries back in the 80s. It's been a long time since I've read that. I feel like that was like one of the first things he ever did. That was like the book that introduced people to Arthur Adams. Longshot was a character from the X-Men that came from the Mojo-verse. If you don't know what that means, I'm not going to sit here and explain it to you because I'm not even 100% sure what it means. And then, of course, Walt Simonson is Walt Simonson, right? He's the one that brought Thor back to the masses back in the 80s. He had a phenomenal run on Thor. He is a wonderful artist in his own right. He himself also has a certain style. I, I often refer to his style as being more kinetic, energetic. It, it jumps off the page to me. He's the guy that turned Thor into a frog for a while. He brought in Beta Ray Bill. And he was drawing Fantastic Four at this time. But every once in a while, they'd bring in another artist for a few issues like they did here. So I don't recall what happens in the other two issues, but I know that these four characters go to Monster Island. I believe they end up on Monster Island at some point. So, of course, they're fighting monsters, which sounds pretty awesome. But I'll be back. I'll talk about the other two issues once I read them. They're, they're now in my rotation. I typically nowadays don't just read an entire run or an entire storyline. I'm reading stuff one issue at a time. And I just rotate stuff in and out of what I'm reading. So it'll be a couple of weeks before we get back to the story. But one of my favorites, classic story, you don't hear it talked about a lot, to be honest with you. So when I say classic, I don't know how classic it is. I feel like everybody knows, anybody who has been reading comics since the 80s and was reading Marvel comics, I feel like everybody knows that this exists, that these three issues exist. But when I hear people talking about great storylines from back in the 80s and the early 90s, this doesn't seem to be one that's brought up all that often. And I think it's because it's not, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not something that ties into continuity, really. It doesn't have any impact on Fantastic Four or the Marvel Universe in general. It was just a fun three-issue story that took four characters that you'd never think, hey, let's take these four characters and make them into a team. But that's what they did. But they do refer to this often as the new Fantastic Four, which is why I entitled this episode The New Fantastic Four, even though it's from 1990. And uh, it was really fun. I really enjoyed the book, really enjoyed the artwork. And I can't wait to get to issue 348, the second in the story. But until then, my name is Steven and I'm Just Another Fanboy. Be nice to each other. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Good job. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.